This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey there, thank you for tuning in to the One Organized Mama podcast. My name is Janelle and I am One Organized Mama. Yeah, you heard that right. I'm keeping the name One Organized Mama for the time being. Um, I, if you've listened to the past few episodes, you may have heard me like, oh, I want to expand the topics. I don't want to just talk only about home organization and time management. I want to be able to talk about more topics. And with that, I'm like, I feel like I need to change the name. And then as I was doing this like thing, trying to change the name, I realized I can't really find a name that I like. And um, some of the good ones are already taken. And so somebody was like, why are you changing the name? It's your podcast. Talk, <clears throat> talk about whatever you want to talk about. So I was like, good point. So for now, I'm, I'm keeping the name the same. One of the changes I did make is I did take off One Organized Mama off my Instagram. So both my Facebook and Instagram are under my name, Janelle Relat, J-A-N-E-L-R-A-L-A-T, if you want to follow me on one or both. And the reason why there's so much pressure, I'm like, do I need a real estate, social media, you know, a podcast one, a personal one? I mean, that's like just between the two platforms, like six different accounts. And I was like, why? I just, Janelle, that's it. Post what I want to post on on either platform. So anyway, um, I hope everyone is doing well out there. The summer is kind of coming to a close for me. Um, If you've listened to me, uh, if you're a longtime listener, you may have talked about how I am a big advocate of in order to organize your life, you must organize your time. And so um, I talk about time buckets. And one of the most important time buckets I feel like we need to organize our time with and give ourselves more time of is the quiet time bucket. And so I've had this very rare blissful cluster of days the past few days I wanted to share with you guys and it's just been really great it's been a very dynamic crazy fun uh significant summer for us um and I'll and I'll tell you why in just a sec but um I've been blessed with very rare, like few days where I didn't have to set an alarm. And this morning I had like a coffee commercial moment of quiet time where I woke up and it was raining outside and thunder and the house just felt like cozy. And then I um, went, poured myself a cup of coffee, sat in this cozy chair, dog at my, my feet. And I just sat there. I didn't have my phone. I used it as truly quiet time. And let me tell you, it was super energizing. After I finished my cup of coffee, immediately anxiety of like, where's my phone? Um, and the, But I was able to just kind of leap into my day, but actually feel like, huh, I got, I, I just felt kind of refreshed, like I had a good night's sleep and all of that. So I hope you are capturing those moments when they come along in your own life and appreciating not being inundated with our phones, giving ourselves a break from screen time and others and just giving us some quiet time much needed for our brains to have a little bit of a break. So 
All right. So in this podcast, it was actually inspired by um, something pretty significant, some significant changes that are happening in my life. I'm kind of entering the season where my children are getting older, getting more independent, leaving my nest. And I may have a birdie and a new birdie in my nest called my mom <laughs> around the corner. This may or may not happen. Um, so we're, we're in the, the beginning stages of seeing how this is going to work out. But essentially, my mother is the primary caretaker of my 96-year-old grandmother, turned 96 on July 13th. We were able to actually go out and celebrate her birthday with her, my daughter and my youngest son, and I flew out to Albuquerque. Now, kind of a cool mom moment. Um, my daughter has recently taken a one of those like ancestry DNA tests. And she was super excited because she's like, oh, look, 9% of my DNA comes from the northern New Mexico region. My grandmother's originally from Santa Fe. My grandfather is from Taos, New Mexico. And so we were actually able on this trip to go up and see some family land, um, see the house that my grandfather built with his father. I mean, they built it literally with their own hands. Um, hear a lot of the family stories. Um, when you drive into Taos, New Mexico, my great grandfather was worked for uh, whatever the department is that builds roads. So he was uh, um, kind of known for helping build that road as you drive into Taos. So very proud family moment. Uh, my grandmother um, has always shared with us stories. There's a lot of folklore and legend from northern New Mexico. Um, we're very proud Hispanic culture. And um, so as kids, we've always heard the La Llorona story, <clears throat> grew up on that. Um, my grandmother swears that when she was a small child back in the 1930s, that a bruja followed her to church one day at 96 years old. She swears that still to this day, that really happened. So my kids are at an age where they kind of get a kick out of that. And it helps keep that culture alive. You know, my mom and I had the conversation about um, an article, the articles that she read about how that northern New Mexico culture is dying out with older generations. And I'm like, yeah, but this is how we keep it alive is having the older generation share it with the younger generation. And then that younger generation will... Um, will hopefully teach it and pass it down to the to their children. And that's how you keep culture and tradition alive and, and going. So um, super cool. We did it with some extended family. And it was fun to watch the kids' reactions um, as they kind of visited almost their like ancestral land. It's not even like it's, you know, because they're a few generations separated. So but definitely a place that I grew up going to. And it was cool to share it with my kids. So <clears throat> on that trip, I, I kind of realized like there are definitely some things that, you know, happen in this stage of life. And disclaimer on this episode, I am not a legal expert in any way, shape or form on any of these topics. And I'll be reminding you, I'm not a legal expert. I'm staying in my lane and I'm only talking from personal experience. So my whole hope in doing this episode is that you can gain a nugget of information to help you if you're um, facing this stage and season of life. All right, so we'll get started. The first and foremost is on finances. Finances is a hot button issue 
almost all of the time. It's very rare, I feel like, for it to be a very like black and white issue, like here's what we're going to do, X, Y, Z, everyone's on the same page, it's done. Um, normally, we all have at some, in some regard, um, amount of emotion tied up in finances. And so this is something that can be a very hot button issue for families. Now, what I have seen work and be the most successful is approaching these conversations because these are conversations that need to be had. And for a few reasons. First and foremost, older generations tend to be susceptible to, let's face it, the evil out there. The evil that likes to take advantage and steal from from them. They are susceptible to fraudsters a lot of times. Um, I think pretty much in this day and age, everyone has a story or, or has at least heard of a story of someone being taken advantage of um, fi- financially. Um, and so this actually happened to my mother a few years ago and um, where she received a call, thought it was from the bank, gave some um information. And next thing she knows, um, a significant amount of money was taken from her account. So uh, thankfully, my youngest brother really stepped in to help her and protect her. So the, the most important aspect of this is, again, protecting our older generations. Um, this isn't per se about fight about inheritance or who's getting what I mean, that's a conversation, obviously, that you know, needs to happen, but I think it's probably better to happen in a more with, with legal advice, um, or financial, um, experts and such. Um, not certainly something I'm going to be talking about on this episode, but it is, you know, that there is that aspect to it. But from our family standpoint, our biggest concern was how do we protect our mother from not, from not being susceptible to, these horrid individuals. And can I just say, on a side note, how do you, these people that steal from vulnerable people, how do you live with yourself? Period. How do you not just be disgusted with yourself when you look at yourself in the mirror? I just want to ask them that because it is despicable to steal from vulnerable people. Um, But there's enough people out there that apparently can. And to me, pure evil, pure evil. Um, So thankfully, my brother, again, stepped in, and he's a very tech-savvy guy, very successful in the tech industry, and he um, protected my mother. And so my mother was very comfortable with what he was doing to set up her accounts. Um, I believe he used some password protection encryption software. I am not. I'm the opposite of my brother. I'm not techie, so... I know whatever he did, he is very confident in, as is my mother. And so very, very happy that he kind of stepped in and took care of that for our mother to to make sure she was protected moving forward. So that is one of the intentions maybe to have when you're approaching this conversation with your family member or loved one is we want to make sure you're protected. So how can we help support you with that? Also in mind, approaching this conversation, I feel very strongly that you need to make sure that it's happening in a very respectful manner, Um, again, because this can be a very hot button issue, and that we're keeping the dignity intact of our loved one. I think sometimes um, families tend to approach issues as if our family member was like a child and 
maybe speaking down to them or um, taking away their independence or a lot of the control that they have. And and I I every situation is different, but I just feel like as long as we're keeping their dignity intact and um, being very respectful. So for instance, one of the um, ways that my family is doing this with my grandmother, my grandmother I can't obviously drive herself to the bank. She is, you know, limited hearing and sight, but she likes to be able to contribute to our family financially in ways like if someone goes to pick up dinner, she wants to be able to contribute and pay. And so, of course, you know, we're like, no, no, grandma. And if she insists, then we go ahead and say, okay. But what she tends to have, uh, she tends to do the past few years, she fans out like the cash that she has in her um, special place that she hides her money and says, here, just take whatever you need. And and so I've kind of told my, uh, brought this to the attention of my mom and aunts of like, hey, we probably should be careful if she's paying for something because somebody could obviously take advantage of her um, with that. So, but we want to also be very respectful of her and again, make sure she her dignity is intact by allowing her to contribute to the family when she feels like she wants to and it's necessary and it's okay for us to accept because she wants to feel like she's contributing and that she's not you know always having to be the one that's taking and stuff so we're very very sensitive to that so that is an example of just being very um cognizant of of keeping our loved one's dignity intact Um, the other thing is if you approach it and just like, Hey, do you need help organizing this? Again, you can organize things in a very high tech manner nowadays. Like my brother has, um, there's a lot of resources out there, uh, do an internet search because I don't know any, I know there's password encryptions and such, but I also know that there are options. And I've seen this a lot with my, uh, real estate or excuse me, my, my professional organizing clients in past years where more low tech options, but Maybe it's um, documents or passwords or account numbers. And it's also important, again, with the idea of protection in mind, to keep those locked up in safe places, a safety deposit box that maybe another family member has access to, a safe. You know, we there's not necessarily a reason for everyone to have access to everything. And in fact, we don't want that to happen in most cases because, again, our older generation um, can be susceptible to people with not great intentions. So again, just like with my mom, my brother said, hey, I have it handled. My mom was okay with that. So the rest of my siblings and I were okay with that too. Um, We felt like she was in good hands and she is in good hands. All right. The next area is the legal umbrella. Again, I am no legal expert um, in any way, shape or form. I'm only going to tell you that when you start to enter this season, the stage of life, you're going to hear a lot of terms, trust, will, probate, powers of attorney, medical directives. Um, For instance, um, when a family member is perhaps terminal or they're facing a lot of medical or hospital stays and such, the medical staff will often ask for certain legal documents. So this is something you definitely want to get sound legal advice on and find out what those documents are and 
make sure that you have them ready because like I said, you don't want to be kind of under the gun um, to make some decisions, especially if your loved one is incapacitated and can't communicate what their wishes or their um, you know, needs or wants are to you. So definitely something to seek legal advice on. Um, I, a will, we've always heard a will out there. I don't know technically a lot about it. I get the gist of it, but what my husband and I decided to do a few years ago was to actually do a trust. And so here is my very limited knowledge of what a trust is. Um, we sought, um, we interviewed some attorneys, people I'd heard about a trust. I wanted to learn about one to see if one was right for us because my motivation being, I've just seen a lot of families struggle with um, things like at, when dealing with their aging parents. And I've seen siblings like being completely, um, their bonds being completely broken and families breaking up over some of these decisions. And I never, ever want that to happen with my children. So as their parent, I want to do everything possible to try to you know, mitigate that as much as possible. So we did some interviews with attorneys until we found one that we liked. And I was sold when the attorney we chose told, explained a trust to me like this. She explained to me like, as it, like a Cinderella trust. She used the, the Disney story of Cinderella, how when Cinderella's um, father died, the evil stepmother and stepsisters took over everything and inherited everything leaving Cinderella, as we all know the story, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, bingo, you're my girl. And so because my husband and I are coming into our, or we came into our marriage, he did not have children. I had two children from a previous marriage, and then we had one child together. And so that can be a little bit of a complicated situation as far as like inheritance and who is going to make a decision doing what, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So this phenomenal attorney that we used, um, she gave us like a workbook and it took me three months to fill out this workbook because it was hard and it was emotional and it was making me think about stuff that I didn't want to think about. And so she was on my case. She's like, hey, Janelle, need this workbook because, or we need to meet up. You need, I need these answers so I can finish your trust. And, um, and, and they're, they're expensive. Um, uh, they are expensive to do, but I think definitely for us, it was well worth the investment. So I, um, had to use some coping skills and my coping skills sometimes include, um, alcohol and salty humor. So I probably with a drink or two in my system, had to sit down and talk to some family members about some of these scenarios that I had to make decisions on. And for instance, one of the scenarios was um, if you're on life support, like who do you want making decisions for you on life support? So I had to like approach it like this with some humor. Hey, I want you to be my quote unquote plug puller because I don't trust so-and-so because if I was on life support and there was hope for me, they might trip over the plug and boom, I'm gone. Or so-and-so might try to keep me like alive forever and I'll, you know, they'll, <laughs> they'll never let me go. It's super awkward conversation to have to have. Um, but anyway, that's how I had to get through it and just have those conversations with my family members. And that's 
how I got through it. So anyway, so we um, are very happy. We do check in from time to time with an attorney just to say, hey, we've made this change in our life. That change has happened. Uh, what changes need to be made to our trust and always on the advice of a trusted legal professional. So a trust. And I definitely don't want my kids to end up like Cinderella at all. Okay. Or, oh, the other thing that got me was the fact that, yeah, if anything happened to either one of us and the other person remarried, that new person cannot change our trust. So I don't know. There's like a lot of terms you'll need to ask if you decide to to seek this out. Revocable, irrevocable. Ask all the questions um, if you decide to do this for yourself. Okay. So my, like I said, I'm not alone in this. I have family members that are going through the same. My mother has two sisters. And so I have some cousins. And in fact, my cousin just sent me this website because there are a lot of resources out there available. So my cousin, um, with coming with, um, figuring out the benefits that are available to the baby boomer generation, she has been raving about this website called boomerbenefits.com. So I have not personally been on it, but it was a resource that was given to her and that she has said has some really great information on it. So boomer, B-O-O-M-E-R, benefits.com. Yeah. So anyway, a lot of really great information out there. Um, Because one of the things I've learned moving on is let's talk about the medical stuff for just a second. Because again, this is some tough stuff um, that you sometimes have to face. And there's a big learning curve. And that's what my cousin had realized is learning Medicare, the whole Medicare thing is feels impossible at first. And I witnessed this firsthand when my aunt was making some calls on behalf of my grandmother. And it went something like this. She calls and is on hold for mm, about an hour and 15 minutes. The other line is eventually answered by someone who sounds like they're not having the best day ever. So they're not super helpful, not super friendly. And my aunt really handled it like a champ. She knew exactly what she was talking about. And I just thought, my gosh, if I was having to make that call, I would have no idea what to say. And it doesn't sound like the person on the other end was super willing to help guide me through that. So you're kind of on your own with some of this stuff. So my cousin has kind of taken upon herself to really educate herself on the Medicare um, programs, I would say. I, I mean, this, this is also what I didn't realize. I thought it was like Medicare part A, part B. No, it goes through like half the alphabet. It's like A, B, C, D, E, F or something. I mean, there's a lot of parts to Medicare that are super, super confusing. So the earlier you can kind of learn about that, the better. All right. The other thing under the medical umbrella that I wanted to talk about um, that was actually pretty significant to me was this. There was something that I had always heard and I was always super scared of, and it was called hospice. If you would have asked me about hospice, I don't know, three years ago, I'd be like, oh, I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear. It just sounds like a really, it sounds like a scary word, a scary place where people go to die. And it just sounded awful. 
Well, my mind has been absolutely 180 degree change. And this is why. First and foremost, we were, we had a terminal loved one that passed away about two, gosh, a little over two years ago. And they were under the care of hospice. So the first thing I realized is to my knowledge, and this may not be blanket for everywhere, but hospice isn't necessarily a place all the time. It can be a place, but it's also like a program. And it is one of the most phenomenal programs I have ever witnessed in my entire life. When we were at the bedside of our loved one who was under hospice care, I have never witnessed so many angels walking on earth as I did with the uh, medical professionals that were in hospice. I mean, angels on earth. Um, the most kind and compassionate and knowledgeable um, folks who educated us on the, you know, the last stages of life in, in the most dignified and caring and compassionate manner to the point where I was shocked. They can actually really tell, I guess we all give signs at end of life of, and they know, they know it's down to the final hours. And, you know, and, and I've actually, that is the most beautiful thing possible because as a family, you get the opportunity to really spend those precious final moments with your loved one, just surrounding them with love and care and compassion. And it's, it's one of the most beautiful things, quite honestly, I've ever witnessed in my entire life. And I'm proud I can actually get through that without getting super emotional and crying. But um, absolutely phenomenal. And I mean, if you or know someone in hospice that does that type of work, truly, you guys are angels on earth. And, um, and so from that, um, we have been faced with the possibility of having another family member enter a hospice program. And I didn't know what that looked like. So um, what I did uh, recently, <clears throat> or it's, it's been more than a year, is reach out to just one of my nurses, nurse friends. So um, I just reach out to a nurse friend. She's not a hospice nurse, but I just said, hey, here's the situation. And do you do you think that maybe we should get a hospice evaluation? And she said, yeah, I think it's worth it. Um, she guided me and directed me to the right resources. And between that conversation and when the nurse came out to discuss um, or to have a talk with us was maybe two, three days max. I mean, it was really quick. And so when the nurse came out, the hospice nurse came out and decided actually our family member wasn't quite ready for hospice yet um, at the moment, but we were just blown away by how in, how much information was given. And again, the level of care and compassion um, that this woman had was just beyond anything, you know, most things that I've witnessed in life. And I just think that people that work in this program are just absolutely wonderful from my personal experience. Um, again, keeping the dignity of our loved ones intact is so vital and important. And I think that from what I've witnessed, um, these hospice workers, medical workers, I don't know what their titles are. I don't know if they're nurses, doctors, I, I'll be honest. Because when you're the family member, you don't know. You're just you're just saying goodbye to your loved one. So I don't even know what their titles were. So forgive me. Um, but I just know that they are um, wonderful and very caring and compassionate and um, 
a wonderful resource to have if and when you're facing that. So I have gone from, oh my gosh, that's such a scary word, a scary place to completely 180 degrees change of mindset and understanding a lot more because, you know, knowledge is power. And um, the more we learn about some of the stuff, the less scary that they really are. And it's actually really wonderful to know that something like this exists to help um, help families and loved ones, um, deal with, you know, end of life, uh, end of life. And so thank you for those out there that work in the hospice, um, industry. You guys are truly, truly angels. Okay. So the next topic I want you guys to consider is have these conversations early, just like what I talked about the trust People were like, why are you guys doing a trust? You and your husband are relatively healthy, young, I mean, (laughs) relatively young and healthy. I said that backwards. And your kids are still kind of young. Like, and I was like, yeah, that's exactly why I want to do it. I don't want to do it when we're like under the emotional stress of, of being faced with something really scary. Like I want to have it early. And I think it's very humane to have it early. And giving you another personal example, uh, my mom is a single woman, again, caring for my 96-year-old grandmother. We know the time will come where um, my grandmother will pass away. And so I have approached this conversation with my siblings and mother of what does the next chapter look like for mom? And um, I, because I'm the oldest, I have every oldest child trait there is, type A, um, bossy, um, I don't hold back any opinions. Um, And so I told my siblings, you guys need to have that conversation with mom. Because when I approached my mom initially about this, and I said, what is your ideal situation for your next chapter? It was pie in the sky. I'm going to have my little suitcase and I have four children. That means I'll be spending three months every year with each of my four children and doing a rotation. When I brought this to the attention of my three siblings, they were like, no that's not going to happen. And so I said, then you guys need to have that conversation with her then. And being younger siblings, only one of them actually did it. The other two totally ignored me and blew me off as they do. And so only one of my siblings had a very honest conversation with her that went something like, hey, look, three months is not going to happen. Three, my, my situation is as it is. And the longest we will let anybody stay with us is seven days. And we all know this about this family, this sibling. I mean, like I'm the opposite. I'm like, hey, if you need a place to stay, you know, whatever. I take in everybody and the sibling takes in nobody. Like we always joke, this is a sibling that's like, if you put the milk carton wrong and it's not facing like the right way, they'll kick you out of their house. So not a complete surprise and shock. So that's why when my mom was like three months, I'm like, there's no way that sibling is going to let you hang around for three months around their house. They don't let anybody hang around for three hours at their house. So <clears throat> anyway, I'm I'm kind of being, I'm kind of joking. And that sibling is the one that listens to this podcast. So hi, sibling, you know who I'm talking about. Um, the other two don't even listen to my podcast, so it's okay. So anyway, that conversation was a little bit of a shock to my mom. And so, but I was like, see, so we had to go back and I said, look, here's the situation. And we've kind of decided that the best situation for her 
is to actually potentially come and live with my husband and I. And I'm calling it homestead, like homestead with us because she kind of needs a place where she has a mail. I was like, mom, you need a mailbox. You need a place where you're getting your prescriptions, a place where you have your doctor's stuff. Again, learning about Medicare, I think it's state specific. So I'm like, you you need kind of a place to homestead. So option number one is potentially me. And I'll tell you why potentially in just a sec. So having those conversations early and what I'm trying to tell my other siblings is the reason we need to have this conversation now is again, it's a humane thing. We do not want to have this conversation when our mother is mourning the passing of her mother. Because what we've seen so many, I've seen it with friends, I've seen it with clients where somebody takes in a family member under that emotional distress and pressure. And then it turns out to be a disastrous situation because things weren't addressed and, you know, situations just happen, um, a lot of expectations, all of that kind of stuff. And um, you, so the earlier you can have these conversations, the better. Now, on to the emotional stuff. This is the reason why I say my mother may come live with us because my mom and I I feel like my mom and I come both come carrying a lot of emotional baggage with each other. And this is not unusual for families, right? I mean, who doesn't have emotional baggage in some regards? Some might have some carry-on baggage. I mean, my mom and I come with like steamer trunk full of baggage, like tons and tons of baggage with each other. And you're only going to hear my perspective. My mother will never come on and give her perspective, but I know she has her side. But my perspective is she, again, has four children. And in my opinion, uh, she has her favorites and I do not rank near the top of those favorites. I am quite low. I, I can safely say I'm at number four, four out of four as far as favorites. And I even suspect she has favorite grandchildren too. So Along with that is some emotional stuff. So since my mom and I are entertaining the idea of what does this look like, and we, on the surface, we actually get along really fine, um, but we have triggers with each other. And her triggers are to be clam up and be silent, and mine are like, oh, heck no, you didn't say that. I'm not sure if I can say the other word on this podcast, but anyway, and I am like a pit bull. I am a pit bull when it comes to, to some of my triggers. And so um, obviously we don't want a highly emotional situation with a lot of baggage to develop into a toxic, potentially toxic situation that because that toxicity seeps into all different areas of your life and relationships and can affect you mentally and spiritually and physically and all of that. And just be disastrous and dysfunctional. And we just don't want that. I don't want that. She doesn't want that. My siblings don't want to hear about that. Um, And so we're having to, again, deal with some of the emotional stuff um, beforehand, before that we cross that bridge and we have to come to it. So if that means getting therapy, helping, you know, reading books, doing some talking, whatever that means, she and I are at least on the same page that recognize like, yeah, there's a lot of baggage here and working through some of that baggage as we speak. So and that being said, I'm rounding out the episode with this. Finally, 
get some support. If you're in this stage, whether it be you're having a family member move in with you, whether you are having to transition a family member to long-term care, to a long-term care situation, you're facing um, a family member with a potentially terminal illness, get support. And I promise you there is a ton of support out there. It might take a minute to kind of find that support and find the right support, but I promise you it is out there. Even if it's a great friend who's been through it, one of the things that I have found um, walking through this next season of life, it's like when you have kids, people that have had kids are very, um, they love to give you all the resources. Oh, read this book. It helped me listen to this podcast. Um, you know, watch this show, go to this doctor, all of that. It's kind of similar. That's what I'm finding with um, entering this new uh, phase and season of life is that people who've been there already are willing to share a lot of resources and information and stuff that they that helped them along the way. So take advantage of it, but definitely get a support system. And support system comes in all forms, whether it be, like I said, books, therapists, counselors, support groups, um, other family members, salty sense of humor, and limited alcohol. <laughs> Don't don't get a drinking problem or anything from this. But no, I'm just kind of joking on that. But anyway, there is a lot of um, support out there, a lot of resources. And especially when we're following, I'm a Gen Xer following behind the baby boomers, one of the largest generations um, in our in our country. So the baby boomers are really setting the stage for the amount of resources. And when I've just done some internet searches, flooded with a lot of different stuff and really easy to access and find the answers and information that we've needed. So thank you for those who are providing that from the boomer generation. And it's making things easier for us um, Gen Xers, millennials following right behind. And, you know, it's, it's great. Again, passing down that information from one generation to the next. So Thank you all so much for listening. Like I said, um, thank you all for reaching out. I'm going to get to your um, emails and such. Um, um, What was I going to say? Oh, on some of them, I'm actually going to respond to you on the podcast. So keep listening. If you have sent me something that might be kind of helpful to other people, sometimes it's funny. You guys send me stuff and everyone's kind of asking the same question or talking about the same topic. So I like to sometimes pop on here and um, respond to you guys via the podcast. So thank you for reaching out. You guys are freaking awesome and amazing and wonderful. And thank you for sticking with me as I um, continue to muddle along and get more episodes out. So I hope everyone is enjoying the end of their summer and staying safe and staying cool out there. Until next time.